Last week, I taught a message called Embracing Mantles, that everyone has to embrace what God has put on you. God has placed something on you, a purpose, a, a destiny, uh, something that he has planned for your life, and you are to embrace what God has placed on you. And in that message, I read a passage in this week. This passage kept sticking out to me, specifically when I was at Island's home campus this week. Uh, it, it really got highlighted in a conversation, and in that moment, I knew what God wanted me to talk about today. So that passage was in Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, we've already talked about last week what happened, that they laid hands on the believers because the believers were ready to receive the mantle that God had placed on the church. That mantle is Holy Spirit. That mantle is that God says, now that you receive Christ... Now that you receive Jesus, I want you to receive what has been placed on you so that you can walk into all that I've called you to do. Because God has plans for all of us. God has destiny for all of us. But in order to walk out those things, we have to embrace the mantle of the Holy Spirit. Because with that mantle, there are gifts placed in, in you and for you to work through you to accomplish his purposes. Because we know that we can do nothing without Christ Jesus. We cannot do anything without the power of God. We are not powerful enough ourselves to do a thing. In fact, when the apostles laid hands on the believers so that they would receive Holy Spirit, I think it's important to understand that there was no power in their hands. The laying on of hands is simply a natural expression of a supernatural agreement. The laying on of hands is a natural expression of a supernatural agreement. That there is a laying on of hands uh, being the example of what Christ has put on you, and you receiving the laying on of hands is receiving what he has placed on you being the Holy Spirit. An outward agreement of things that were actually already happening. It's all about getting the natural in alignment with the supernatural. Aligning with the realities of heaven that are available to you right now. The realities of heaven are not something to look forward to when your flesh dies. The realities of heaven are something we can walk into right now. But here's the problem. Number one, we love to talk in the theoretical ideas of supernatural expressions, but we haven't really done a lot of work into talking about how do you get the expression. And the church has done really well with making plain the need for Jesus, but many stay there. And if I may, even in the idea of receiving Holy Spirit, Many people in the church stop at, I've got Holy Spirit, and think you've arrived. But there's actually a whole different flow, a whole different rhythm, a whole different conversation that God actually wants to have with us. You see, many have learned about the gospel of Jesus, but they don't understand the gospel of the kingdom. We don't understand that Jesus came to make right the ones who God wanted to represent him in the earth, to spread a culture of heaven, to walk in the culture of heaven. 
We are made right so that we can properly represent all that is in heavenly places in the earth. And we have many people that talk about a new covenant in Jesus, but have no idea what is actually in Jesus. Only that they have him. Only that they've met him. And the church has done a really good job with distorting this message called grace and have made it synonymous with excuse. The message of grace is not that because you're covered in grace, you have the excuse to do what you want to do. The message of grace is that he did not have to put righteousness back on you. But because of the grace of God, even though we're dirty and even though we're messed up, he says, in my righteousness, you are no longer dirty. In my righteousness, you are now perfect and spotless. I believe that when the scripture says he is coming back for a spotless bride, it does not mean that the church has to get everything perfect. It's that the church has to start actually believing you're spotless. But the question is how? How do we walk in this idea of spotless? How do we get to this place where we see ourselves coming alive in Christ in what we are anointed to do? You see, in the early church, letters were commonly given to help guard against problems. Specifically, they had this issue with false prophets and false apostles. They would travel from city to city with letters saying, hey, look, Paul sent me. Support me. Today, we call those ordination papers. Oh. And for some reason, we accept the papers even when there's no fruit of what the paper says. And Paul is actually writing to the church at Corinth, addressing this problem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through 2, this is what Paul says. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring your letters of recommendation? Or who asks you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you, yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Paul says, wait a minute. What recommendation letter? This is not about me. My letter of recommendation is a living letter. Let my life validate my ministry. And let your life validate yours. And so many times we look for the papers of validation. Where's the ordination? Who is it with? How long you've been in ministry? How long you've been a Christian? How long you've been going to church? What denomination are you? What is your stance on the end times? We, we, we have all of these what, 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 what. And what we don't understand is many have the physical papers of validation but their fruit is the furthest thing from what it should be. And what the fruit and the letter written on our lives should be is simply this. You look like and bear the glory of God. Amen. We are to actually walk in glory. We are to bear glory. But the problem is we talk about glory a lot, but we don't define what it is. Because we all know the churchies, we, oh, glory to God. And let, let's walk in his glory. But what is glory? Well, for those of you that may not 
know that the Bible is written in two areas, the Old Testament, the New Testament, which is actually two main languages, Hebrew and Greek. So in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have Hebrew and Greek words for glory. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. And it simply means this, the weightiness or the worth of a thing. That the thing has a worth, it has a weight. It is not flimsy like paper, it's like weighty like gold. The Hebrew says kabod. The Greek word for glory is doxa, which simply means this, opinion, honor, or divine quality of a thing. So glory actually denotes the worth and divine quality of something. The problem is many start at a certain weight of worth, but you never increase into what your true worth is. So we start at a weight of, I accept Jesus. But we never get weightier embracing the truth of our divine worth. That you are so worthy and so good, you can actually walk in the very thing that Jesus did. That's why Jesus says, you will do greater works than I did. Why don't we see it? Because we embrace an inferior weight of worth, an inferior weight of glory. We embrace a weight of I'm saved and think we've arrived. Or we embrace a weight of I spoke in tongues once 26 years ago and we think we arrived. Or we embrace the weight of I've prophesied and we think we've arrived. And we never actually start to understand that we are to move from one weight of glory to the next, to the next, to the next. Isaiah 10, 27 says this, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Some of you have heard this passage like this, The anointing breaks the yoke. You see, what happened is that a yoke was this thing that was put around the neck of an oxen to help control it. It was a big animal. So a yoke will be placed on an oxen to limit the movement. So if the oxen was supposed to go straight and it started to go its own way, the yoke would bring it back in to the path that it wanted the oxen to go into. That's actually what happens with being born into sin. You are born yoked into something. And sometimes yokes are put on you through something like a generational thing, a generational curse. Like your daddy was an alcoholic, so you struggle with alcohol, right? Or mama had a problem, so you got the problem. Sometimes it's generational, but sometimes a yoke can be placed on you because you're born into a fallen world. You're born into a fallen culture. So right now there's a yoke of woke, right? I know it's funny, but that's what it is. There's this yoke placed on the younger generation, for instance, for, you know, six-year-olds are yoked into thinking they can choose their gender, right? It's a yoke. Or people are born into a yoke of religion, thinking that, you know, you're born Baptist, so this must be the only theological truth out there, and if someone tries to shift you out of it, you get back in instead of embracing something that may be a little different. Or on the other side, you know, you're yoked into a religious system called Pentecostal. 
and you think that everyone that's not Pentecostal must not be saved because they don't go shaba 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 at every church service, right? So you 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 got is, is this okay? So you're born yoked into these systems, and we think prayer is the only thing to break a yoke, but actually, what breaks a yoke is when you accept this new uh, truth in the new covenant of Jesus, you realize that no, no yoke stands a chance if you get weightier or fatter. Because when you get weightier or fatter, when your neck increases, when your worth, when your weight increases, the thing that's been placed upon you literally cannot stay because your weight breaks it off. So it's not prayer is the only thing that breaks off a yoke. Like you're yoked into being let down or you're yoked into a life of abuse or you're yoked into the religious system. In order to break these yokes off, you cannot stay at one way to glory. You've got to get weightier. You've got to get bigger. You've got to say, Lord, I want to start walking into a new level of my divine worth. And Paul says, all you need is yourself to shine glory bright. You don't need man's credentials. You, you, you don't need to go. Now, now, I'm ordained, so obviously I've been through the stuff. Many people are ordained in here. But it's not let me get ordained so that I can minister. It's you yourselves are enough to shine and minister. And we've got to start understanding that God says, I've got a letter of recommendation that I have written on you, and I want you to move into new levels of glory so that it's hard. But, but, but the, the problem is, people, it's hard to see your glory because they're looking through the blur called sin. And we embrace the excuse of grace saying, Jesus, cover me so I can stay. But we don't like to move. Verse 3 says that, is this, is this all right so far? Yeah. Verse 3 says this, clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. What Paul is actually speaking of here is a prophecy from the Old Testament by a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 33 says it like this. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. Really quick, who is Israel? We are Israel, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. In other words, God is saying they will be my people by what, by what I write in them and on them, not for them. And for some reason, the biggest thing that Christians doubt is your ability to hear the voice of God. Let me tell you something. If you are in relationship with the Father, he says, I give you the desires of your heart. So when you start to get a, a, an unction to do something, and you're in relationship with the Father... Christians doubt the voice of the unction. And the only way you're going to be able to start learning if the unction is of him or not is walk in it. And his grace says, as long as your desire is to hear my voice, I will make all things work together for your good. But you've got to start going somewhere with it. 
You got to start walking somewhere. You got to start moving from the. Do you realize that the glory of God is deep within you? That the glory, your, the, the divine purpose and your worth is written on you and in you and is all about you. And when you're only baptized in the revelation of Jesus, you don't receive the revelation of glory that is revealed by the Holy Spirit. You are worth something. It is divine. It is purposeful. And it is good. And nothing can change that. The only thing that happens is you walk there or not. The enemy, Satan, has no authority to take your worth away. In fact, he has no authority whatsoever. The only way he gets authority is whispers in your ear, and then you start to say, yes. He needs your agreement to do anything. So the only reason Satan has any authority in the earth is because people walk in an ignorance to agree with a voice that they think is good. Because he disguises himself as light. He looks and sounds good. So people who don't know anything more than just Jesus saves me starts to agree with something that looks like Jesus would love. And then we say, well, how do we learn to get through? You move from current glory to another so let's see what happens in verse 4. We're confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Our qualification is not us, it is Jesus. Jesus qualified us, and through the new covenant by way of grace, we are enabled and made right to walk in the glory, the worth, the weightiness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that, white, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because of Jesus, listen to this, because of Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. Another way to say it, because of Jesus, you are as righteous as the Father is. And that's a scary thought, because our minds go, first thing is, what have we done wrong and why we're not worthy? But that is an indicator that you have not embraced your glory. You are the Father's glory. You are worth something divine and outstanding. And he says, through Jesus, you are as righteous as I am. And if the church would start to understand the concept that you're right, we would no longer wait to qualify with papers to walk in what we're called to do. It's, the best theology is Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we are his righteousness, then everything Jesus walked in, we have access to walk in. And anything that tells you that that is not true is actually in rebellion to the theology of Christ. You want to figure out what to believe? Look at Jesus. 
You want to know if gifts are for today? Look at Jesus. Even the Son of God needed the mantle of the Holy Spirit. You want to understand what is true theology? Jesus is true theology. In verse 7, it's, I'm getting somewhere, so just bear with me. It says, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Although it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. Now, listen to that now. The law led to death, but it had so much glory that people could not even look at Moses. The revealing of the thing that brought death was glory. It's confusing a little bit, right? For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. The law that leads to death began with people seeing a level of glory that they could not even look at. Um, that was reflecting off of Moses' face. You see, what law does, it denotes people as guilty before God because of their sin. That's the purpose of law. It shows you what is of him. It shows you what's not. And there was a glory associated with that revealing because the law is part of God. That's why Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He couldn't abolish it because law itself is from God. The law came from God, therefore it is of worth and it is of weight. Moses even had to put a veil over his face after speaking to the people because the glory revealed in the law was all over him. Are y'all getting this? And the problem is, many stay in the weight of a glory called law. So your life is about behavior modification. Your life is about, I must not be a true follower of Jesus if I don't come to church every week. Your life is about, I must not be a Jesus lover if I don't do my devotion every day. We, we get into this law that you can't do this, you can't do that, you better do this. It, you become just, just all about the do's and the don'ts. It is a level of glory. The problem is that level of glory fades away. It shone on Moses' face, but the shine was fading. And many have stayed in the weight of glory called law trying to get their behavior correct and the glory fades away and eventually with fading away you go back to habits that are opposite of Christ. Because we are the righteousness of God, the glory, the light, the weight, the worth never fades from us. The problem is some of us stay shining dim forever. Is this making sense? So watch what happens. Verse 8. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit has given life? Think about that. They just said, Old Covenant, the revealing of law, the Ten Commandments, it was so glorious that Moses' face was shining. Shouldn't you expect more? And I don't know about you, but it's been a, I don't know if I've ever walked up to someone and thought to myself, good Lord. You just shine with the glory of God. Shouldn't we expect more, it says? 
If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is this new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. If the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? We should expect something far greater, yet all we see is the glory of salvation when Jesus is a door for more. Salvation may not fade, but you can be saved and still living in a lie of a yoke. And the only way to live in freedom, walking from wilderness to promise, is to move from a current level of glory to a new level of glory. I'm not sure if y'all chewing. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm still building. Watch this in verse 12. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Let me just stop right there for a second. We have such glory available, such worth in heaven that we can be bold. Someone that, that comes here often, and they're, they're not going to mind me saying this, they, they, they said something to me this week. They said, I love the fact that you talked about Title IX in church. That's bold. That's courageous. And while I love that compliment, it grieved me a little bit because that should be common in the church. But what the church has done at large is settle for, we've got to make sure that everyone is pleased to keep them in the seats. My goal is not to please you as your pastor. It's to challenge you and help grow you, and I hope that you challenge me and help grow me. Because I don't know about you. I know that I am in a level of glory. I know that you are in a level of glory. But I show enough don't want to stay in this level of glory. Is that okay? Relentless. We are seeing people get out of wheelchairs and cancer and disappearing. We're seeing stupid financial breakthroughs. But I don't want to stay here. Amen. I want to know what the, the next level is. I want to know what, I want to shine brighter. I want the glory of God to, to come even more. I want to see what's next. Verse 13, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they can't understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. So we know, we, we know that phraseology, right, that in Jesus, the veil is torn. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They do not understand. We are made unto right standing with God so that we can be bold in who we are, so that people can see the glory shining from us. Why? You see, the veil is not a bold thing. The veil was not a bold thing to wear. Why? It was a barrier that for someone to hide behind and to hide behind it was to be separated from the glory of God. That is why there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and no one could enter in it. It was, it was such a level of glory that no one could put eyes to it. It was such a level of glory no one could touch the Ark of the Covenant. But he says, but now. 
that veil is removed so that you could shine in such a way that the people will see it. So that the people can see it. You see, what Jesus did in the resurrection and 50 days later with the mantle of the Holy Spirit, it's so much more than getting you right for eternity. It's making you worth so much in heaven that he's allowing people to see his glory on you, in you, out of you. But what weight do you bear? You see, when we hide behind the law, we reject new levels of glory. And I wrote down, I, I see two ways to hide behind law. Focus on behavior. And number two is make it a religious requirement to walk. I've got to get right so that I can. That is an old glory that Christ has made a way for you to get way more. Through Jesus, the veil can be removed so that all will see the glory of God. And here is the game changer. Verse 16. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us, listen to this, more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Now I want to read that verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the New King James. It says, but we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We can be bold and like a mirror behold or see his glory is what it says. Here's the thing with mirrors. We always get taught, be a mirror of God. But that is actually not what's going on in this passage. Can I teach? In this era, a mirror did not reflect as good as they do today. They were made of metal. And when you looked into it, it gave you a cloudy, distorted image of the thing it was reflecting. So this is what Paul was saying. We can see the glory of God, but can't, we cannot see it perfectly. So you can stay in the level of glory that you can see, or you can be transformed into an image that you cannot see, which is perfect. Can we put that last scripture back up? I, I want you to see this. I, I, I want you to see. With an unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror of the glory of the image, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul says, we can see a level of glory, but it is nowhere near the perfect image of what we can be transformed into. We can be transformed into the perfect level of glory that is Christ, that is the Father, going from glory 
to glory. You can stay in the level of glory you can see, or you can be transformed into an image that you think you're not worthy of. To go from glory to glory, to be ever increasing in glory, is to continually be changed into what you were created to be. Increasing in the very nature and character of God. So no one in this room gets to have an excuse of, this is just who I am. No, that's what level of glory you sit in. And you can choose to sit in that level or be transformed into the next. We are to be ever increasing in glory. We are to be ever increasing in the perfect picture of what we are worth and what our divine quality is and who we actually are, not who we see. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We are meant to be the glory of God, which in by turn lights up darkness. Pee Wee said this at First Fruits Wednesday, get your shine on. Now he says he was referencing a country artist, but there's something so much more to that. Get your shine on. How? Move into a new level of glory. God's glory was seen on Mount Sinai when Moses revealed the Ten Commandments. And how it is described in Scripture is actually simply getting your shine on. In Exodus 24, 16-17, it says, The glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared or looked like at the summit, it looked like a consuming fire. So God's glory was indicated by fire coming from a cloud. Some versions actually replace glory with a, 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 a meaning from the translation that simply says this, the dazzling light. The dazzling light of God settled on Mount Sinai and it looked like a consuming fire coming out of the cloud. The glory of God should shine in such a way that exposes anything not of him. And that's why no one could look at Moses because they would see themselves. And at that time, they would not be able to see themselves as right. And they are, were already having issues of, this is the promise. But we had the same issue. This is the promise, God? This America? And what do we do? We do the same thing they do. God, when are you coming back? Get us out of here. But he, and he says, you are in a day. Where such glory is access to you that you don't have to hide behind what I'm showing you you are. He says, you are worth something of divine measure. So why are you hiding behind your law and your religion and everything you love instead of being transformed into an image that you have a hard time embracing? 
And the problem is with the religious systems in church, when people try to move to new levels of glory, we love to point out former issues preventing it. Instead of embracing each other as brothers and sisters and saying, let's move. To see people come alive in Christ. To see people come alive in what you are mantled for. To see people embrace the weight of your divine worth. You know what this church should be known for? When people walk in the door, we see worth. We see potential. We see divine qualities. Whether it's a dim shine or a bright shine, we see a shine. And we give ourselves to saying, let's get this mirror to look clearer and clearer and clearer by showing you who you truly are. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood. But it also says in Revelation that we are priests and kings. So it is our glory as kings of the earth to search out the hidden things of the Father. And the reason we don't see the hidden things is because we don't search it out because we settle for current weight. We settle for a current weight of, oh, our church is growing. We've got, for us, we've got, we've got hundreds of people coming. Maybe not right now. <laughs> or we've got thousands of people coming. Or, or look, look what we're doing. We settle for a current weight instead of daring to say, let's search out the things that no one has found. You know what that's called? apostolic and when you start trying to search out the things that no one has found the enemy will do anything to keep you from digging it up we have got to say Lord it it is your glory to conceal it and it is our glory to find it you see there's a difference in the presence of God and the glory of God hear me out There's a difference in the presence of God and the glory of God. Simply put, the glory of God is the manifestation of his presence. The glory, y'all are quiet. The glory of God is the manifestation of his presence. 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles says that heaven cannot contain him. That he is everywhere. Proverbs says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Right? So when someone says, I need to get in the presence, it shows their comprehension of how big God is. You ever hear that rhetoric? I've had a bad day. I need to get in the presence. Well, you are in the presence. He's got eyes everywhere. You're in his presence in Target. You're in his presence downtown. You're in his presence in Piggly Wiggly. You're even in his presence in Walmart. His presence is everywhere. God is just much as in your home as he is in heaven. But has his glory manifested, the fullness of God manifested, revealing the truth of his presence. And we seek presence when we need to move from a level of glory to another one. 
We don't need to seek presence because his presence is. We need to seek new level of glory to see the reality of his presence. It, it's pretty simple. When two or more get, are gathered, I'm there. And yet we, we're, when he, Lord, come in this place. He, he's already there. Stop praying that. It's Lord revealed to us how to move into a new level of glory. And that is by way of transformation. We need to embrace a new way of thinking. You see, Scripture says, be transformed into his image from glory to glory. And how does it say we get transformed? Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Let God transform you into a new person. By what? Changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we hear that, but let's take it deeper. How do you change the way you think? You start to embrace a mindset of this is for glory. In everything. Everything. What thing? Everything. Everything. This is for glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Isaiah 61. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Everything should be about glory. How does what I do or what I say or how I respond mirror the divine worth of God and me in God as a living letter of recommendation? Everything is for glory. I, I, I think of Jesus when he was dying on the cross, what his last words were. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What was he understanding? Even in death, it is for glory. Because he is moving into a new level of glory. What was Jesus' glory for a moment? Taking on sin and paying a debt. Was a level of glory. Which what happened when he paid a debt? He broke the chains of death, hell, and the grave. That's why God says, if you can't forgive your neighbor, I can't forgive you. God, why can I get out of my, my issue? Why can't I get out of this place? If you don't take on a level of glory of forgiving what they don't deserve, how can I forgive you of what you don't? Everything. Level of glory. Everything. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So let's read that in the correct way it was meant for. All fall short, so there's always a new level of glory to move into. No one has ever arrived at their mature level of glory. You are perfected unto the truth of your right standing. And being perfected is moving from a level of glory to another. And some seek levels of glory that are obviously shining, but don't move into levels of glory that are not so obvious. Like, everyone wants to move into a level of glory where we lay hands on someone and they're healed. But no one wants to move into a level of glory called not easily offendable. No one wants to move into a level of glory of not lying. 
No one wants to move into a level of glory of forgiving your brother when they don't forgive it. We don't want to move into a new level of glory of new natural responses. We don't want to move into a new level of glory of temple management. We want the big levels. We want the big shine. We want the, the miracles and the signs and the wonders, but we don't like to move into the level of glory about guarding your mouth. Right, but For some reason, we love the outward display, and he says, it's good. But that image comes by way of transformation from one level to the next. One thing I'm starting to learn as a leader is that if, if what I'm doing is causing a division or an issue or offense, I'm no longer trying to defend my point. I embrace a humility because what do I want? New level. And that's where we all have to get to a place of. It's not about you. It's, 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 it's not about how does this benefit me. It's about how does this benefit the glory of God. And his glory is my glory. Therefore, God, what must I give to enter into a new level? Individually and corporately. God, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to be? And it all comes with embracing one simple mindset. How do I move into a new way? This is for glory. You want to know how to manage your current job situation? New mindset. This is for glory. How, how do you start getting through marriage issues? Our marriage is for glory. How do you get into financial issues? My wallet is for glory. Everything. It's such a simplistic, but so foreign concept. It's for glory. How do I embrace this? For if we would embrace, I know that this may be, I mean, maybe some of you are waiting for this big, like, boom at the very end, but that is the boom. If we, the, the, the simple things. If we would start to embrace a mindset of what this, what I'm going through is for glory, that's how you embrace suffering. Not God wanted me to go through it, but how do I move into a new level of glory now that this card got dealt? I was talking to someone this week about they have a struggle that they've been dealing with for years. You know the, the level of glory they're, they're moving into? They're praying for people who have the struggle and seeing them get breakthrough while they don't. In other words, they are so reflecting their worth that it's causing it to shine and light up places of without and others. Because even this is for I close with this passage. It seems like a pretty common passage, but in Ecclesiastes 3, I want you to see it through the eyes of this is for glory. For everything there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. So think about it. I'm in a tough season. It's for glory. A time to be born and a time to die. You want to know how you win the abortion argument? 
conception is for You want to know how you explain? Take away the theology of were they meant to die or not. How do you celebrate Christ even in death? Their death is for <laughs> that, that was for someone in this room. A time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry, a time to laugh. A time to grieve, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to turn away, a time to search, a time to quit searching, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be quiet, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time for peace. It's all for the same thing. Glory. Oh, how is hate for glory? You hate the things that stop the shine. How do you navigate through tough times? How do you navigate through 2022 when all of the natural responses are, it's getting bad, we're going into recession, we're going backwards, the economy is falling out. How do you manage it? Oh, this is for glory. Wait, how can a recession be for glory? Because I can show the world that while the world goes through recession, I increase. You can depend on your system all you want. But my system that is of an unseen realm has such glory to it that I move into that as I'm transformed by while you receive your recession, I receive this is for glory. Do you see what I mean by this mindset will transform everything? This is for glory. Mindset will begin to move, become heavier, shine brighter, and expose and remove anything not of God because it's for glory. Church, I challenge you tonight as we leave here. Every situation you're going through, I, there, there are things that have been coming to your mind this entire evening as I've been talking, and I want to encourage you. It's for glory. Not for condemnation, not for hurt, not for pain. It's for glory. So move into it. You're worth something of divine weight. And no one is at the right weight. It's weightier. It's heavier. And the beauty of the new covenant is there's free access to get bigger in it. There's free access to shine brighter in it. There is free access for you to be transformed into the true version of what your glory is. You know what your glory is? Your glory is in the Father. You know what that is? You're perfect, you're spotless, you're blameless, and you're right. But you won't see it unless you start moving. It's all for glory.